Hello, we are back with episode five of the Brand Matters podcast. Today we're going to talk through, with a little help from my fans, how fans grow fan bases, which was the panel topic from Mondo NYC that I participated in yesterday. I had a great time with the other panelists, and I'll talk through some of the insights we had from that uh, event. For segment two, I also wanted to take a look at the Google Pixel event and examine how they did from a branding perspective for the, the new product launches. There's some great stuff they released or announced. Let's let's see how they did. Jumping into how fans grow fan bases, the panel was moderated by Samantha Moore from The Orchard. And we had Tagger Media's Daniel Savage, Affinio's Grant Oman, Brittany Foreman from Downtown Music Publishing, and Danny Chang from Giphy. And then myself, representing Live Me, and it was a it was a good group. The abstract for the panel was: the music industry marketing machine has adapted from a business to business operation to a direct to fan one. The new generation of user centric apps puts the fans in the spotlight and makes it fun for fans to literally sing your artist's praises. Meanwhile, companies are deep diving on how data can lead you to discover where potential fans are and how to reach them. Find out how fans are your key to getting more fans. So coming from a music business perspective as a panel, the first question was what kinds of data tools and services are out there to help artists and, and brands study the data and, and learn who their fans are and how to reach them. One consensus off the panel is that really there's no one master tool for independent artists or sm- smaller bands to, to really jump in and get access to all of their data. A lot of the data is very disparate. Some of it is just not properly tracked. And and so it is a challenge. Pandora's Next Big Sound does still have some uh, analytics and data offered to artists. And most of the social platforms have their own forms of analytics and, and data. So, so those are good. And then Grant from Affinio really pointed out some of the uh, for bigger companies that are willing to work with Affinio, there are some really great tools for for mining those insights from from a company like Affinio or from Tagger Media. So so there are options, but I think it, it is a challenge, and I think we'd all love to see one company come in and just be the one ring for all data sets, but it, it's a challenge. I mean, you look at the industry, and not everyone plays well together. From a data perspective, you have so many different tags and traits that, that it's really hard to just line everything up. And, and I think that, that comes down to one point that I wanted to make, which is data on its own doesn't have value. The value comes from what you do with that data. So certainly, if you're a brand or a publisher, you need to capture the data and find a way to store it, find a way to structure it, and you know find a great way to organize it because it will be valuable. You know, I compare it to digging through someone's trash or it's an unworked mine. You know that there's something valuable in there, but it takes work and resources to get in there and extract that value. So if you're thinking about taking a data-driven approach, we highly recommend it because this is the age we're in. And if you're not using data, you aren't getting your best competitive edge. But at the same time, you're going to have to go upstairs and, and figure out how to communicate the importance of data and why it's important to invest in you know, database management and you know, engineers and um, analysts and, and all that. Brittany had some really good points about 
you know, the importance of data that she's seen um, building out the data strategy at Downtown Music Publishing. And and I think that's a big question for anyone from a small artist who's just getting started to a, a major brand. And of course, the spend and the data sets are going to be vastly different. But I think the main point is, whatever we do, we should be tracking how it does and learning from that in order to make it better. Daniel had a great point, which is like, even if you're just starting in Excel and you're just listing, okay, here are my Instagram posts and here's how I'm doing. And then you pick five competitors, five other comps that you want to, you want to go against and you, you track them. And that's a, that's a way to start to measure how is your engagement performing against similar brands or, or similar artists. And that's a good place to start. Excel is really a, a quite powerful tool, and a lot of people do almost all of their you know, data work in Excel. Certainly, it'd be better to have a SaaS option where you can just click a button and run the graphs and see it all visually, but it's a good place to start. If, if you're running the Instagram account for your, your own little brand, keep track of how you do and measure it against someone else so that you have a better sense. Because if you post something and you only get like five, 10 likes out of a hundred followers. How do you know how that does? I mean, maybe that's an engagement rate of five to 10%, but you wanna, you wanna track it over time and you wanna see how certain posts perform. And I think the goal is not, not to just post, you don't wanna only post promotional content for band posters or your you know product launches or your brand releases. That's just, not the way that social's done anymore. Really probably shouldn't have been ever. And if you're doing that, you're gonna find that your engagement is gonna be lower. And and I think the goal is connect with your fans authentically and in powerful ways. And then you will be trusted to have a voice when it's time for you to promote your latest work. If you have a great relationship with your fans, they will actually help do your work for you by promoting and drawing in more fans and engaging their networks and being an advocate for you. And that's where the, the value really starts to, to multiply is when your engaging fan base is, is out actively recruiting and, and participating in your strategy and your goals. I think artists can have a hard time thinking of social media as this thing that they need to use to promote themselves now. I mean, you know, there was a question like all these influencers are getting signed with these record um, deals and they're not even that talented, but they have these big followings. Like, what does that mean for the art? And, it, and it's a good question. I think we pointed out on the panel that this is a business and music companies are looking at artists and wondering, okay, when they make that art, is it going to have an audience? And are, is that audience going to buy and stream it and, you know, attend concerts and buy merch? Those are all questions that companies are asking. Rather than falling in despair about the state of the industry, I think genuine artists and brands just have to ask, okay, how can they participate in a way that's honest to them and their brand and use that to find their best audience and their best fans and then build that relationship? So again, similar to last week, I, I think it's really about viewing your fan base as a relational exchange rather than a transactional one. And certainly 
transactions happen because they will be purchasing your music. But fans these days want more than just that single transactional exchange. One way that Brittany pointed out you could look at it is the musical content is the product, but social is the marketing and the branding. And so if you just make a product and just put it out there, but you don't put some force behind it with your social strategy, then really it's possibly, you know, falling in the forest or falling on deaf ears, depending on how you want to express it. And that, that's, that's a problem. You know, you can make the best art in the world, but without a vehicle to get it to an audience, then it goes to waste. And especially if you're just getting started or you're an indie, that marketing budget isn't really going to be there. And so social is the way that you earn your marketing. You, you own it and you do it on your own and you connect with your fans directly and, and that's a start. One point made on the panel is that every musician is an entrepreneur, and that's a great way of thinking about it. That means that some of these insights that we have for musicians also apply to other entrepreneurs and other business members who are engaged in building something that connects out with the real world and with real people and making those people into fans. One of the questions we had about LiveMe is not every artist feels comfortable just investing the time into live broadcasting where they can spend hours connecting with fans and answering questions and you know doing impromptu performances so uh, is that going to give those artists a disadvantage the way that i would describe it is that every artist every broadcaster every personal brand needs to decide authentically what's important to you what are your values who are you and how do you represent yourself and then go out there and do more of that. So the way that I would put it is data is what helps you find the things that authentically connect you with your audience. And once you find those things, invest in and focus on doing more and more of those. Daniel from Tag Media said that they have a, a word that they throw around the office that they made up, which is authenticity. And I, I think that's that's a great a great way of putting it. We need the integrity of an artist and being able to know, okay, who are we and, and we're going to stick to that. And then we need the authenticity of, of going out there and just being real and being that out in the world. Some personalities are going to go out and be super hyped up and really active. They're going to be running around and have the camera on them. And that's great. And then other, other personalities are going to want to, you know, curl up with a book and just you know, post a quick shot on Instagram or something. And and I think both are valid. The question you have to ask yourself is, which audience is that reaching? You know, who is that going to connect with? And if that's who you are and then who, who your fans are, then great, you, you build that, that audience. You know, there's a, a musical artist I was talking to recently, and, and he shared that even though their fan base isn't super large, the level of engagement of their fans means that they can tour in a bus instead of a van. That's a very clear way of understanding the importance of fan engagement. You know, you could have a thousand fans and your competitor could have a thousand fans, but if you have more fans that are going to come out and support you, that are going to invest in your fan experiences, then you can do more and have an easier job of it, you know, instead of 
squeezing into that van, you can enjoy the bus. And so not all fans are created equal. And I think it's important to remember um, how to find and cultivate those, those true fans and engage with them authentically. And this is as true for brands as it as it is for you know a musician who's going on tour, which is when you have a marketing strategy, when you're going out in, into the public with something new, if you have loyal customers that are going to sing your praises and participate with you in challenges and releases and getting the word out, you can amplify your marketing strategy and and you can accelerate your branding and you can punch above your weight and that's what's going to help some of these smaller brands survive against bigger corporate brands that can always outspend always out hire and out muscle you the the strength of your fan base the strength of your engaged customer base is one of your most powerful assets and social media is a beautiful, sometimes aggravating, but incredibly powerful way to directly connect with fans and hear their complaints, hear what they're excited about, and create new experiences for them around your own objectives. One example we got from Danny at Giphy was the artist Kilani, and she came into the Giphy studio to record some reaction gifts, and then really brilliantly released the gifts just a couple hours before her her album and the the gifts became part of the album launch you know the the fans started on social by getting hyped up using the gifts to talk about their anticipation of the album and then when the album came out they could use the gifts to to react whether it's like applauding or, or showing excitement you know all these different emotions that Kehlani had put in her gifts and then and then media started to, to use the gifts when writing about the album or Spotify used it in an, an ad campaign. And, you know, her gifts on Giphy have over 140 million views. And so that's just a really powerful way to connect with fans. And it's funny because gifts really, they don't have audio. And so here's a musician who's realizing that this soundless video can actually be part of her fan engagement strategy. And it's including her personality and some of her aura beyond just okay every piece of content needs to have her music and her sound bites so she can take her personality and create content that allows fans to connect with it individually and encourages them to share and be part of her uh, grassroots fan base so that's a really great case study you can look up Kehlani's gifts on Giphy and use them for your own text threads or um, your own social. You could also make your own. At Cheetah Mobile, we do a lot of our work in WeChat, and some different team members have gone in and made their own stickers, made their own gifts to react to different situations. And that's a really fun way to build camaraderie as a team is, is posting reaction gifts together that include us um, as a team. And so that's something you can think about not just internally as a way to build your team communication, but also externally as your company builds its brand voice, as your as an artist, as you um, you know, find ways to help promote your work to fans and your 
personality and all of your content. Hoping to see more gifts out there in the world. I think they're a really powerful communication tool for young people. And the right reaction gif landed at the right time is just more than a thousand words. Okay, let's dive into segment two and talk about uh, the Google event. I watched the live stream like I did the the Apple event uh, the other week, and I thought it was a good event, but it felt a little low energy, and it's somewhat of a difference between Apple and Google from a stylistic point of view, but a lot of the presenters felt like they were hitting their lines, but not really putting in the excitement behind it. So that's something I'd like to see more from a a branding perspective is just more life and energy put into communicating these, these new products and new technologies. And I think part of it is an issue with Google culture where it's very technology centric, which is great for really hardcore users, but I found that the presentation seemed to get bogged down in the over-technicality of it all. In particular, I think the assistant branding is something that I'd love to see improved because Google Assistant is really powerful and it is making our mobile and uh, software experiences smarter and more convenient. But I think AI and machine learning and neural networks and all that, we want them to go into the background more. You know, if we bring it up to the foreground and we talk too much about like, this feature is machine learning on the chip and everything, then I feel like from a marketing perspective, it doesn't really resonate with your mainstream consumers. Sure, you can sell to the geeks who really care about that kind of stuff and understand what that means, but I think a better branding would find a way to carry that message over to your your every person. You're every man, you're every woman. There's there's a lot of potential for Google Assistant becoming this really powerful part of our lives, but I want to see it become more natural. And so I hope that Google marketing can can pursue that. One interesting thing about the event was several mentions to to chasing Apple. Um, you know, digging at the two cameras, really get into storage, the iCloud versus Google Photos. And I think Google is actually beating Apple in some of these areas. Google's photo management and photo processing is better than Apple. It's smarter and it's in many ways more full-featured. The storage options are better. I think Google Photos is a better product than iCloud. And I obviously haven't played with either camera for the Pixel Pixel 2 versus, you know, the iPhone X. But the Pixel has an amazing camera. And by some measures, the Pixel beat out the iPhone 7. We'll wait and see how the iPhone X and the Pixel 2 stack up. But I'd love to see Google, from a branding perspective, let go of some of the comparisons and really just run with who they are and, and them being the best. Because I think... As long as they're tying themselves to Apple, they're going to limit their possibilities. And, you know, we don't need to get into the Android, iPhone, you know, flame war. I think the Pixel is an incredible phone. 
And to be honest, after their presentation, I was two clicks away from just buying one and giving it a try and seeing if I, I do want to make the switch. My current Android phone is a Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge. So it's getting a little bit long. Would love to update it. But didn't pull the trigger right after the release. I may have to wait and see for some of those re reviews to come in. One thing I thought was interesting is when they pulled away to the musicians that were doing the transitions, it looked like the musicians were using the Rolly blocks and the Rolly Seaboard block musical equipment, which you can use with the Noise app to, to make some really fun music. I actually just picked up a set of those over the summer. But it was interesting. I felt a little bit, as much as I love Rolly and the work that they're doing to make music more creative and easier for uh, musicians to, to do fun and new things, I felt like it was trying a little bit too hard to have that music be the transitions because the music itself felt a little weird and not not quite as natural. And, you know, if you cut away and be like, wow, that's made on a phone live, that's one thing. But I think that point gets missed on people. So love to go back to just a regular DJ or something, at least for now. Or at least do more of a demo with showing off some of the, the Rolly equipment and explaining kind of what's going on there. But it, it felt a little non sequitur in, in the event. The Pixel Buds translator demo with the designer and the other presenter was really cool and does give an example of how Google can live up to some of its tech geeky voice, but do it in a way that inspires. Like anybody who's been around the world for a little bit understands that that pain point of trying to communicate and giving a really cool way to hold out your phone, use your earbuds, and just communicate across languages. That's a powerful demo. I know Microsoft's working on some real-time translation too. Apple probably has something in the works, but hasn't really gotten there. And it was a very compelling demonstration for the product. I think the Pixel Buds versus the AirPods from a product silhouette perspective maybe aren't aren't quite there. I have been seeing a lot of AirPods around the city and it's really quite striking. The Pixel Buds with that strap in the back is, is going to be trickier. But yeah, I'm looking forward to real-time translation when it comes because it'll make a lot of our lives easier. So, so that's a case where Google is dreaming and getting those products out there and it's going to it's going to change the world. The one product I did buy right away from the presentation was the new Google Home Mini. And that for $50 just felt like such an easy purchase. I've held off on outfitting my home with some of those virtual voice assistants. I've purchased Echoes for friends and I've used Google Homes around other people's uh, apartments and it's it is really great. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Siri. I think Apple's falling behind. I'm hoping that they get get their head in the game. But it'll it'll be fun to see how the Google Home Mini uh, works out. I was quite interested, too, in the new Sonos integration, which, which starts with Alexa in their Sonos One, and then will add um, Google Voice Assistant in 2018, I think. If you care about easy, affordable sound quality, Sonos may be the option for you. For the Google Home Max versus the Apple HomePod, I'm on the fence. I, I just don't really have a use 
for that. Maybe it's because I have kids and so I'm not playing music very loud often. But, um, you know, I have a Bose speaker at home and it's enough, at least just for the the music side of things. I don't really need a smart sensing speaker to reconfigure my space for me. That's just not something that I want to spend $300 on or however much it is. One point I did want to make in favor of Google was I loved how diverse their presenters were, bringing up people from different countries, men and women, you know, people of color, folks that, that are working on these products and, and building some great things. So that's a huge point for Google's favor. And I think they are trying to be down to earth and, and just show regular people their, you know, fashion wasn't as a focus for their presenters. They were just regular people sharing products that they built. Whereas Apple tends to go a little bit bigger and aim higher. If Google wants to build that very personable brand approach, I think they're going to have to, as I mentioned earlier, still find a way to market beyond the technology into what the user's needs are. Because I think if you just take these regular employees and then you have them share these really tech-heavy introductions to some of the the products, it it's going to fall short. So overall, I think the Pixel is going to be an incredible phone. And if you're already in the Android system, I think it's going to be one of the best experiences you can get this year. And if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, you know, Google stepped up and is now producing hardware where they're willing to challenge the iPhone on cameras and and full software integration and things like that. And so now that they've taken some more ownership of the Android experience through their their main devices, I think it's really a great option. I think you'll see some people jumping fence. The iPhone 8, there's not a whole lot new going for it that that is exciting customers. And so people who were thinking about switching to the Pixel, assuming that Google can get their inventory up, uh, you may get some migrations that way. And then I think a lot of it's going to depend on how the iPhone X does and the end of the month, whether it really becomes this desirable device that people are willing to pay the premium for, willing to, to fight to get. And if that's the case, then you know iPhone can still keep its, its brand cachet. Otherwise, you know it might have a problem on its hands. So great event from Google. I would like to see one or two more steps beyond the technology to to bringing it down to earth um, for your mainstream consumers and uh, props to them for getting the diversity right and a few really exciting products in there. The one product that was a miss, last thing is Google Clips. What the heck was that? I feel like with so many privacy and security concerns, the Google Clips just doesn't really make sense as a product. You know, we already have drop cams, you know, keeping an eye on us, but to have something that's just, you leave it and it's just recording stuff, like people running through the house and deciding when to record, it just seems, seems a little creepy. So that's not a product I'm interested in buying. I do like getting kind of automatic footage. It's just that the way they positioned it just felt felt awkward to me. Even when they when they said like, "Oh, let's let's close by enjoying all these different clips that people recorded," and they they showed like you know people playing with their pets and these babies running and and all that stuff. It just didn't feel that compelling to me. Like 
okay, those are nice, but why do I need to buy this device and let it just run in the background and manage it and decide which shots I want when I could just be engaged with whatever's happening in the moment and if I need to take a picture, my phone is nearby or cameras are nearby and felt like that that was a bit of a miss. But excited to see where Google Home goes. I think Google has a huge leg up on the virtual assistant side and can't wait to see where the future heads as they keep improving their products. So yeah, it's been a fun fall getting some of these new products announced and lots of great technology coming at you uh, if you have the, uh, the wallet for it. So that's segment two. Thanks for joining us today as we looked at using data to help build your fan bases and also thinking through how Google did with its branding for the new products. We'll be back next week. I'm Josh, I'm your host, and this episode has been produced by Sebastian Leo.